I'm Agnes Frimston, and you're listening to Undercurrents, the podcast from Chatham House. Hello, so this is a bonus for you. It's just me here. Um, And we've got a bonus short episode for you on the day of the European elections because we like to celebrate voting because voting is a joyous thing. So today, Ben and I spoke to Elizabeth von Hammerstein, who is the Programme Director of International Affairs at the Stiftung from Berlin. And we had a long chat about what's going on in Germany, what they're going to do after Merkel, and how the German people are thinking about foreign policy at the moment. So I hope you enjoy it, and let's have a listen. Great, so we're here with Elizabeth von Hammerstein, who is the Programme Director of International Affairs at the Kerber Stiftung from Berlin. Thank you so much for coming all this way to speak to us. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here. So we're speaking before the European elections, but we haven't done a Germany episode, have we, Ben? No. We we haven't done anything on Germany, really. It's been shocking. But it's a big year. Merkel's going to go soon. Things are changing. In the run up, well, in the run up to sort of the European elections, domestically, what's what's happening in Germany? <laughs> a massive question for you. Sorry. Well, what is happening in Germany? <laughs> a lot is happening in Germany, and at the same time, there's not much happening in Germany. I would say, um, with regards to the European elections, I think that are coming up next week. Um, I think. Um, there is a big debate about the, we call it the Spitzenkandidatenprozess, the lead candidate process, and the question whether Manfred Weber, who is the Spitzenkandidat for the European People's Party, will actually become the head of the European Commission or whether he won't, because um, it's debated throughout Europe and the French are not exactly in favor of the whole process of the Spitzenkandidaten. So that's one of the issues in Germany right now. Okay, and what would be the implications um, if Mr. Weber did take on the position of the head of the commission? Like, does what's what's his political background, and what would be like? Do you have a sense of what sort of policies he'd be looking to push through? Well. Manfred Weber is the lead candidate for the European People's Party. In Germany, he's a member of the CSU, so that's the more conservative part of the Christian Democratic Union. Um, But he is seen as um, one of the more moderate candidates. However, I think the European People's Party right now is facing a little bit of a difficult process, which I think to a certain extent is a bit similar to what the Christian Democratic Union is going through in Germany, because there's this discussion about um, to what extent the CDU-CSU union should move more to the right, because the alternative for Germany, the AfD, has gained um, ground in the past years, and they are now part of the German parliament. And so there's this debate about, um, or the there there was a criticism of Merkel, who apparently moved to the center and and left people on the right. And I think to a certain extent, extent the debate is quite similar 
um, when it comes to the European People's Party because Manfred Weber, he is not backed, for example, by the Hungarian prime minister, by Viktor Orban, whose Fidesz party is now temporarily suspended and we'll see about the future of, of the Fidesz party in the European People's Party family after the elections. Um, but he is trying to hold the EPP family together. And um, so far, I think the jury is still out on whether he will manage to do that. So with the, we've heard a lot about the you know, the rise of the um, AFD, you know, in, in the UK. But how how much of a proportion do they actually represent? And how how important are they versus how much potentially people talk about them? That's a very good question. So they did get a lot of attention before the national elections. In the end, they have about 13% of the seats in the German parliament, which is not too much. But I think it was a great step for them to enter the national parliament in the first place. And I think around the elections in Germany, they got much more attention that then was necessary. Now that has calmed down a little bit. And compared to other European countries, I think Germany is still to a certain extent lucky when it comes to the percentage of right-wing party because they do uh, don't play such a big role, although they are the third biggest party um, in the German parliament after the Christian Democratic Union and the Social Democrats. So that's um, quite a gain for them. Because I think one of the comparisons one can make with the UK is um, UKIP, which wasn't particularly successful, but definitely dragged a conversation in a certain direction. So you could argue that Brexit happened because of UKIP's agenda and, the, and how it affected the Conservative Party. And it meant that conversations and topics around migration and this sort of stuff really came to the fore. Do you think that's happened at all in Germany? Well, I think the other German parties um, tried not to pay too much attention to the AFD and try to, especially the Christian Democratic Union, they tried to have their own topics and not to not to talk too much about the AFD. But that's also, I think that's what's been criticized about the German media, that they paid way too much attention to the alternative for Germany um, and that that was not in relation to um, the actually the actual role in German politics. So I think there is a similarity to a certain extent. Yeah, looking beyond Germany as well, the sort of wider picture of Europe, um, obviously one of the major debates um, once we block out all of the Brexit noise is about sort of whether there ought to be deeper European integration or whether actually integration has gone far enough and the European Union should be less ambitious about about strengthening those those links and those pr like processes. Where do you think the prevailing opinion in Germany is on that issue? Well, when we talk about European integration, I think we need to mention President Macron and his proposals for a deeper integration. And um, I think when we talk about the German role, um, what was missing was a German response with regard to that proposal that he put on the table. And that has been criticized in Germany because um, Annegret Kamp-Karrenbauer, who is the new party chair who succeeded Angela Merkel as the party head of the Christian Democratic Union, um, she actually she responded to the proposal by President Macron after there was a long, long um, 
several months um, period when there was no response at all from the German government. It was actually also, if you look at domestic politics, it was a difficult situation because the German government was just forming itself and there were problems with the coalitions. And so it took a time and there was kind of a standstill in German politics. So mm. that was difficult as well. But when Annegret Kamp-Karrenbauer responded to the calls um, from President Macron, her her response was seen as as kind of offensive, not only in Berlin, but I think also in Paris, because she made other propositions, such as um, one of her ideas was to um, to turn the French seat in, in the UN Security Council into a European one. And then she also talked about the European Parliament and the seat in Strasbourg. Um, and she made proposals that are not, first of all, not really possible for France, but also that are not really possible to implement, such as the, the European seat in the, in the UN Security Council isn't possible from a legal standpoint because um, sovereign states need to be members of the UN Security Council. So that was a little bit of a non-starter. And, and the German um, foreign policy community has criticized that response by Annegret Kamp-Karrenbauer. So I would say in, in general... Um, People are quite critical of of the German role and people or the, the German foreign policy community wants Germany to be more proactive and mm. more assertive when it comes to European integration. And that's something that's lacking from from the government and from from the CDU party member. Okay. That's really interesting. And your institute has just done this survey that they do annually on German attitudes to foreign policy. Obviously, it'd be great to hear a bit more about that. But also, you know, what do, what do the German public feel about German integration? Do you cover that in, in this? Yeah, so in, in general, um, Germans are quite reluctant when it comes to foreign policy issues. I think that can partly be explained by the German history and um, that that explains the, the German reluctance, but it's still quite surprising because from the outside, um, every or a lot of a lot of governments have um, have demanded that Germany should take on a more assertive role um, when it comes to its role within the European Union, but also when it comes to its role um, in the world. But when you look at the numbers, um, there's much reservation about the German role. In it, for example, 41% of Germans think that Germany should become more strongly involved in international crises. Um, but 55% of Germans think that it should exercise restraint. So I think that's that's actually quite surprising probably, or that's quite different to, I would think, when you look at, at the UK, for example. It sounds like quite a think tank answer, like on the one hand, on the other. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think there is a gap, as I said, there is a gap of uh, what's being demanded of Germany and what Germans think. It's also another number is when you look at the defense spending. Germans are very reluctant to spend a higher percentage of their GDP, as was promised at the 2014 Wales summit. Um, they don't want to spend 2% of the GDP. And right now, I think the spending, the German spending, 
rising is about 1.3 percent. Um, and when you look at the the polls, Germany Germans really do not want to spend more on on defense spending. Although the number has gone up slightly in the past year, and you could argue that's also because of the rhetoric by Trump, but it's still it's still not high. One of the major criticisms of the European Union in Britain is that it basically it's seen to constrain what Britain can do on the global stage in terms of shaping its own independent foreign policy and that really the European Union is is stopping us from making trade deals and like being more ambitious in how we act on the global stage. Um, but in lots of pol policy areas, it seems that actually Germany has quite an independent foreign policy stance. Um, I can think of a few examples in terms of economic relations with Russia and China and it's and standing up to the US maybe. Um, could you maybe talk a bit about that and whether that's a kind of accurate portrayal of what's going on? Yes, sure. So basically... I think German foreign policy or one of the main pillars of German foreign policy is the EU. And Germany, I mean, that that's part of its whole history, can only pursue a foreign policy through the European Union. And I think in that regard, it's very different from, from the UK, for example. And Germans do see the European Union as very important. But at the same time, um, Germany is, I think, increasingly seen as selfish and as pursuing some national interests that are in contrast to European interests. And um, actually this week, the federal president of Germany, um, Frank-Walter Steinmeier, he used to be the foreign minister, he argued that there is a risk of Germany becoming isolated in Europe. And he said it was interesting because he was quite self-critical. And he said that um, the Germans like to think, we Germans like to think of ourselves as the best Europeans. And we tell ourselves that we are particularly generous towards our partners and that we do our utmost to take their interests into account but others see us to a certain extent quite differently and that others um, reproach Germans for merely pursuing the national interests and that was very interesting because um, he did not always use to have this stance when he was a foreign minister but it's also interesting because I think it shows how critical Germany is seen from the outside and there are a few examples for the German role or some argue that Germany is being selfish when it comes to its own interests and one of them is the German support for the North Stream 2 project, which Germany is pursuing despite huge worries by its central and European neighbours. Briefly, just for our listeners who maybe don't know what that is, yes. could you give a brief sort of... Yeah, description of what that. Yes, so so the North Stream 2 pipeline is a pipeline, a gas pipeline that goes through Europe and that's being pushed by by the German business sector and um, there are worries, as I said, by Central and Eastern European neighbors because then Germany would not necessarily rely on them um, and um, would be more dependent on Russian on on the Russians. Um, and so they they fear that the Russians' fear of influence is growing and that Germany and Russia are partnering. And um, so that's that, that's one worry by them. And besides the North Stream 2 example, there is the whole debate about the German trade surplus. And Trump is threatening a tariff war against German auto automobiles, in addition to the tariffs that he already introduced on European steel and aluminium. And he's been criticizing Germany um, when it comes to its trade surplus. 
And then there is the debate about German defense spending. Although Germany committed to spend 2% of its GDP by 2024, that was promised at the Wales Summit in 2014, um, it hasn't lived up to that promise. And Germany still spends, I think, not even 1.5%. It's about 1.3% this year of its GDP. And um, so that's a huge problem. And Trump is pressuring Germany and the the American, American ambassador, Richard Grinnell, is pressuring Germany to change that. And um, then there is the issue of arms exports, for example, where Germany has um, adopted kind of an unpredictable stance because it has changed very recently its arms control. It's now not exporting to Saudi Arabia, for example, after the um, journalist Jamal Khashoggi, the Saudi journalist, was was murdered um, a few months ago. It has stopped its arms exports. And since there are so many Franco-German arms projects, this is very diff difficult for for the French because um, they can't rely on Germany anymore. And um, there's been a huge debate about this. And the French ambassador in Berlin has complained, complained about um, German unpredictability. And the British um, foreign secretary has also complained about that because that is not in line with European interests. And it's hard to, to predict what Germany will do. Um, I mean, you mentioned Trump. <clears throat> Trump's coming up quite a lot. And I think, I wonder whether it's just because we're just so obsessed with Brexit. But I sort of feel a bit, correct me if you're wrong, if you think I'm wrong, Ben, that Trump hasn't massively impacted our foreign policy or our rhetoric around, you know, it doesn't, what he's saying doesn't seem to be directed at the UK in any way, particularly. Do you think that he has impacted the way that German politics has been has been working over the last couple of years? Yes, I do think he has impacted um, how German foreign policy is working. That might also be the case because um, Trump seems to be seems to pay a lot of attention to Germany when it's it comes a bit to weird, defense isn't it, spending. In some ways, he's sort yes. of a bit obsessed. I think actually there there are many Germans who are just hoping that he will he will forget about the Germans. But he's I mean, yeah, to a certain extent, he's obsessed about Germany. And that's not only the defense spending that I mentioned, but also the trade surplus. And um, yeah, so you can if if you um, look into that, I think you can find a lot of proof for that. Um, for example, in the German media, um, there was a lot there were a lot of articles about Secretary of State Pompeo cancelling his Berlin visit last week. Um, and it was said that no one in Berlin is doing enough to to uphold the transatlantic relations and all of that. But I think in the end, um, Germans, um, German foreign policy makers are pragmatic. They know that they need the United States and um, they know that transatlantic relations are very important, not only when it comes to NATO, but also when it comes to everything else, including including the economy. So it's, it's short-sighted to say that um, we will be independent of the United States. So we mentioned earlier that um, Chancellor Merkel is coming towards the end of her time in office. She's said that she won't contest another election. So whenever those elections might be, we don't know. Um, but she won't contest it. Um, just, it may be too soon to tell, but just in terms of your initial reflections, what do you think her legacy is going to be 
in Germany in terms of foreign policy? That's a difficult question. <laughs> I wish I knew. <laughs> But I think that um, you probably have to distinguish between what Germans will think of her legacy and what the international community will think of her legacy. And I think starting with Germans, I think that she will probably be remembered for the 2015 um, so-called refugee crisis and for her decision that um, she took to people are saying that she opened the borders, which is not true in that sense, but um, for her handling the, the migration crisis, maybe at the cost of her, of her European uh, neighbor states, such as Poland, Hungary, who are criticizing her for that. So I think that's something that will always be stuck in German memory. When it comes to the international community, I think what she has been called a lot in the past couple of months and years is the it's been said that she is the guardian of the liberal order and that she's the one who will protect multilateralism from from falling and the world order from falling apart and um, I think um, for example at the Munich Security Conference this year people she she gave a very interesting speech and it was quite emotional with regard to what she usually says and how she usually says things and she criticized president trump quite openly um and she did present herself as the guardian of the liberal order so i think that would be a legacy that she would like right. after <laughs> after she leaves amazing Well, yeah. What would you want your legacy to be then? Um, <laughs> I mean, I that wouldn't be too bad, would it? Going it would be pretty good, order. wouldn't it? If yeah, that's yeah, yeah. if that was your legacy. <laughs> um, so this is going to come out on the day of the European elections. So rather than doing predictions, because nobody's ever done well from those. Um, <laughs> what do you think, like Germany's role within the European Union is going to sort of continue to be? What do you think internally Germans feel like they should be doing within within the European Union? I think one of the major tasks for Germany will be to keep the European Union together even after Brexit. Although I have to say, I think there's a tiny little bit of hope in Germany that Brexit won't happen after all. <laughs> We'll see about that <laughs> with with uh, the British now taking part in the EP elections. I think that's what sparked that hope in the past. We just past love week. an election. We just love yeah. voting. Any chance. Any chance, Any to, chance vote to vote with it. Even though it's not a referendum. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't mention referendums. All right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been here? <laughs> so I think one of the major tasks for Germany, as I said, will be to keep the European Union, Union together. And I think... Um, With regards to Germans' geopolitical role in the Union, it's really about keeping the East and the West together because Germany is um, or can be a bridge builder between the Central and Eastern European countries and Western Europe. And although we talked about the, the German Franco motor that has been broken to a certain extent, I think that will be one task to revive the German-French um, relationship and to actually work on those concrete proposals. But then 
to also keep the Polish and um, the other Central Europeans in the boat. And I think especially now um, that it's been 15 years after the EU enlargement in which um, Poland and Hungary and Slovakia and the Czech Republics and um, 10 European member states in total joined the European Union, um, this is um, it's time to to keep East and West together and to ensure that we have in the end a common European vision, which I think right now is in danger. Well, big, on, words. <laughs> big words. Big words. Absolutely big words. Well, on that cheery note, Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming to speak to us. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Thanks so much to Elizabeth for coming in um, and we'll be back next week with a full episode but I hope you enjoyed it and do rate us and subscribe on iTunes if you have time.